A great philosopher of the internet once said, always be yourself, unless you can be Batman. Always be Batman. While neither of us are Terry McGinnis and will likely never be Batman, we can live vicariously through him in his many comic adventures. Welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. Welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. My name is Dylan. And my name is John. Welcome back, Dylan. I'm back, baby. So, yeah, I'm back, guys. Uh, I want to say a thank you to our friends who joined us for the last few months while Dylan was taking a little bit of a break from the from the podcast. Yeah, thanks, uh, Kit. Who else do we have? We have um, Joe. Joe and I think Cade. Yeah, so all, all three from uh, View from the Gutters. It's awesome. Thanks again, uh, guys. And, hey, if you guys haven't listened to View from the Gutters, they're really awesome. Go give them a listen. So... We All are right. doing uh, family, Bruce w- or Batman family. Batman family, family. It's all about family. All about fam. Uh, yeah. So this one is uh, going to be a lot of education alley. They use a lot of fancy words and fancy phraseologies. So we're going to be tackling that first and foremost, John. All right. So in issue one, we have the word dilettante, and this is in reference to Martha Kane, who is uh, Bruce's mother. And a dilettante is a person with an amateur interest in the arts. So in in the context, the uh, antagonist of the story uses uh, Martha Wayne or Martha Kane to get closer to Bruce, basically telling him, "I knew your mother." Well, so, it, it wasn't a lie. She did know her. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't say it was a lie. I said she used her though. But uh, yeah, she, they, she said when she first met Martha Kane, she thought she was just a dilettante. Yeah, because uh, she was from a wealthy family uh, uh, in Old Gotham, which we've seen in a number of stories uh, outside of this one. Yeah, so it's kind of cool, kind of a cool word, doesn't get used often. All right, so and then issue three, we have reference to Orpheus trying to rescue his wife, Eurydice. Eurydice. So I was totally, okay, Eurydice. Like we mentioned in when we talked about Orpheus Rising, uh, we mentioned this. So go listen to that one as well, of course. Yeah, that was a really good one with Donovan uh, joining us for yeah, that one. that was really cool. Uh, the next one we have, also from issue three, is the power of Quetzalcoatl. Uh, this was the high priest of Matzatlan was trying to invoke this power. And Quetzalcoatl is a Mesoamerican deity whose name comes from the Nahuatl language and means feathered serpent. He is the god of wind and learning. And he was also the patron god of the Aztec priesthood, which would explain why the high priest of Matzatlan was trying to invoke his power. So the, the birds is on the marquee at the movie theater, Dinah Drives By, as well as the names Rod Taylor and Tipple Hedren, two of the stars of the film. It's a Alfred Hitchcock movie uh, that those two starred in back in 50s, 40s? I want to say the 60s. My 60s? mom was scared by it as a kid, so she never would let me watch it, so I still haven't <laughs> seen it. Oh, wow. I do, I do like Alfred Hitchcock, and I've seen a number of his films, but that's not one that I have seen yet, just mostly because of that, even though now that I live on my own, I haven't got, gone back around to, to watch it. It's one of those classics that you got to watch. Yeah, it's one of those ones on my list, my list of like 250 <laughs> movies I need to watch. <laughs> we have a, In issue three, we also have a Mark Twain co- quote by Marcus. The reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. The expression derives from a popular form of a longer statement by the American writer Mark Twain, which appeared in the New York Journal of 2 June 1897. The report of my death was an exaggeration. The correction was occasioned by newspaper accounts of Twain being ill or dead. At the time, Twain's cousin, James Ross Clemens, was seriously ill in London, and it appears that some reports confused him with Samuel Langhorne Clemens or Mark Twain. Yeah, that, that's always an interesting one. You know, I'd heard the phrase a number of times, and then one one day I'd actually heard this story, and so when I saw it in in this story that we're covering, I was like, oh, I remember that, and I know that that is uh, controversial because it was a misrepresentation of Mark Twain when it was actually his cousin that was the one who was very ill. What's really interesting is nowadays you you always have you know like I follow Snopes on Facebook, and you always have you know so and so reported dead and Snopes were uh, rebuting it. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going around that people just throw out there and then somebody goes and 
post to Snopes. Nope, that's not true. Here's why. Uh, also, in issue three, remember we said we had a lot of this stuff. Uh, we have Gotham's Alvin Ailey, which is a reference to Orpheus and his dancing. Alvin Ailey lived from January 5th, 1931 to December 1st, 1989. He was an African-American choreographer and activist who founded the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater in New York City and is credited with popularizing modern dance and revolutionizing African-American participation in the 20th century concert dance. Ailey's choreographic masterpiece, Revelations, is believed to be the best-known and most often seen modern dance performance. He received the Kennedy Honors in 1988, just one year before his death, and also President Obama posthumously selected him to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It's kind of cool. I mean, the guy really brought uh, contemporary modern dance to the forefront. Yeah, and that's an area that I am not at all familiar with. It's never been much of an interest of mine, so that was really interesting for me to look up and learn about. I actually have a friend up in uh, Seattle that is, she's ahead of the dance, one of the big dance communities up there. So that's kind of a cool thing. I get to see a lot of that firsthand. Uh, next one we have is uh, Boris Badenov, which is a reference, of course, from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Boris and Natasha. Yeah, Boris being the the short, stout, bad uh, antagonist. Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. <laughs> from the Sticky Bandits. Yes. So right, next one we have is uh, in issue five. Freeway says he's not Clarence Clemens when uh, Bug calls him Big Man. Known as the Big Man, Clarence Clemens was a member of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band playing the saxophone. He Again, was, something that I'm not terribly familiar with, so that was an interesting reference for me to learn. The Boss. Well, I know who Bruce Springsteen is. I just didn't know this person was in uh, his band. Yeah, the, the Big Man and killed the saxophone. All right. Also in issue five, we have a reference to the Sandinistas in Honduras. Sandinistas are members of the Sandinista National Liberation Front, and the Sandinistas were the ruling government in Nicaragua from 1979 to 1990, which was when the Iran-Contra affair took place, which we covered in episode 143, Bruce Wayne Fugitive. While the Sandinistas ruled, they instituted a policy of mass literacy, devoted significant resources to health care, and promoted gender equality. A militia known as the Contras was formed in 1981, and they fought the government using guerrilla warfare until 1989. After revising the Constitution in 1987, and after years of fighting with the Contras, the Sandinistas lost what many considered to be the first truly democratic election in 1990 to Violeta Barrios de Chamora, but retained a plurality of seats in the legislature. Finally, the FLSN, as they're called, remains one of Nicaragua's two leading parties to this day. All right, the next one we have is Dr. Excess calling his methods Pavlovian. So, of course... A lot of people are going to be familiar with that Pavlovian response, but that came from Ivan Pavlov, who was a Russian psychologist who lived from 1849 to 1936. He is known primarily for his work with the classical conditioning. The most famous experiment he performed is called Pavlov's dog. This is an experiment where he would ring a bell every time he fed the dogs, and then after a period of conditioning, he would ring the bell without providing food, and the dog would salivate in anticipation of the food. Now, I heard an inverse of the theory. The dog salivating is what made Pavlov ring his bell, so I that the that so that the dog got food. It's all the dogs in control, man. <laughs> that sounds like a conspiracy theory. <laughs> okay, maybe a little bit. All right, next one is issue six. Uh, yeah, in issue six we have metastasis. I think yes. I'm missing a letter. Metastasis, reference to a drug that that stopped us in tumors, is where this comes from in the story. And metastasis is the spread of a cancer to uh, or other disease from one organ or part of the body to another not directly connected with it. In that same, uh, in reference to that same drug, we have deleterious side effects, which mean causing harm or damage. And we have malfeasance also. This is all in one giant speech by uh, Batman. Uh, he says malfeasance in reference to tampering with the drug. And malfeasance is the performance by a public official of an act that is illegal or, or that is legally unjustified, harmful, or contrary to law or wrongdoing, or used especially of an act in violation of a public trust. So since these guys were, were producing a drug, that's that's where the malfeasance came into, yes. into being. We get uh, Robinson Island is mentioned, which was named for Jerry Robinson, who worked on Batman in the 1940s. He is the co-creator of Robin and the Joker. So we have Jerry Robinson largely to thank 
to thank for Robin and the Joker. Yeah, he he has a very uh, long-lasting uh, legacy within the Batman universe. Yeah. Um, and this is one that I noticed that probably very few other people noticed. The technician's car, I believe, is a Tucker 48. Now, the reason I noticed this is this car is very unique because it has a center headlight that turns with the car, illuminating where the car is about to go. Now, only 51 were ever produced, and uh, there's a movie by Francis Ford Coppola called Tucker, The Man and His Dream that depicts the drama around the car's production. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it, it was one of those like really interesting innovations that just never took off, and it just, you know, the company folded because they couldn't, you know, make it work. Kind of like John DeLorean and the DeLorean, you know, <laughs> it, it, it was an interesting idea, it just didn't come to fruition. Yeah, I, I like the idea of a headlight that turns with the car. That sounds like something really interesting. but Yeah, and I think we've started to see it in modern cars, not with a center headlight that does it, but just kind of like uh, the within the headlight cavities on, on the side that it'll turn a little bit to help kind of illuminate if you're turning. So we're starting to kind of see the same concept come back around many years later. That's interesting. All right, so in issue eight, we have Bruce being called incorrigible. Uh, this is referencing his playboy nature. It's a reference to somebody of their person or their tendencies not to be able to be corrected, improved, or reformed. So Bruce being an incorrigible playboy means he's there's nothing anyone can do about it. That's just who he is. Yeah, he's not going to settle down and you know have a girlfriend or wife. He's going to just be playboy. out there always. He's going to be Hugh Hefner till he dies. Billionaire playboy philanthropist? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Iron Man, <laughs> basically. Um, we also have another reference here to another Batman creator called Goodwin Boulevard, named for Archie Goodwin. Archie was a writer and editor for the Batman titles. He worked with DC from 1967 to 1980 and 1989 into the mid-90s. Other uh, notable comics that he worked on were Creepy, Eerie, and the adaptation of Star Wars into a comic book and comic strip in the late 70s. Pretty cool. Last one we have here is Asano Nitobi fighting move. This is uh, the fighting style used by the network. He's an established character in the DC universe, albeit lesser known. Uh, he's the last living grandmaster of ninjutsu. He trained Paul Kirk, the Manhunter, and Freeway, who tr- then trained the rest of the network characters. That Paul Kirk is the oh. Manhunter that he trained. Sorry, the, the the way the commas worked out, it sounds like three people. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah. So he's, he's someone who kind of. Uh, is a character in the DC Universe, but lesser known. All right, so we'll move into our talking points here. We really didn't have any bad points with this one. No. Um, there is one thing that you did want to bring up, though, v- briefly, and that uh, that we see at the end with Bug. Yeah, the only really bad point I have is at the end, uh, the antagonist Bug, who's kind of the intelligent spy camera guy, gets caught putting uh, cameras in a women's bathroom. Yeah, he gets uh, caught by Batgirl. So. And it's just like, uh, we, we understand that he's a bad guy. Did we really need to up the creep factor? This makes me, this takes this character from someone that I think John and I were both interested in seeing more of. Someone like, ew, we don't want to see more of this. That's, that's just unsettling and creepy. It, it took a character that was interesting and turned him into a creep. Well, I, I agree with you there that it turned it turned a character into a creep. But I will say, unlike some other stories we've covered where I feel like certain excesses in this vein are over the top and we already know that they're a bad guy. This guy really, it felt like this was a good way for the story to establish him a bad guy. Cause really he didn't do much other than be kind of their version of Oracle in the rest of the story. Like it, it was almost, it was almost like a sad case of, of someone who'd had a rough life, you know, who, who just kind of fell into the wrong uh, team, but maybe wasn't a bad guy himself, and then just reinforces to me that well, he he is a bad guy as well. He's just not working for the wrong people. Does that make sense? It it does make sense, but I disagree. I think by association and the fact that they had established through dialogue that this is the collective's modus operandi of going in, taking over an entity, and then you know, crashing it to make millions or, or to further their power was enough to establish the entire group as bad guys, seeing as he was a established part of the team. So I, I don't know, it just seemed kind of... It, it it turned me off of the book, I'll put it that way. It turned me off of the character. 
I, like like I've said in other stories, I've had that same reaction to similar things, but in this one, I, I didn't. It, it it didn't have that same. Uh, I mean, I recognized it as something like that's that's gross. So we didn't really need that, but it didn't really turn me off to the the network or the story because. I didn't feel like it was overkill. See, for me, it felt like overkill. Once again, I think that's just going to be a matter of personal taste and, and flavor, you know? Yeah, yeah, so. I agree. So we'll move on here then to our first good point here. The one that, that I found the most interesting while reading this was that we get some characterization, some fleshing out of Martha Wayne. Yes. Which is a character that I've seen in a number of stories, and I've seen a little bit here and there about you know who she was, but usually it's in relation to being Bruce's mother and being married to Thomas Wayne. And so here we get something with the character from before she was involved with Thomas Wayne and before she was Bruce's mother. We get to see her as a young woman. Yeah, and we get a, a feel for her as a person. They do a really great job of depicting her as a human being. Uh, you know, And really, we get a good taste of Martha Wayne as the type of person who Bruce would want to emulate if he had known her. That's something that's kind of cool is that, that, that ingrained goodness we see in her character. I mean, obviously we're doing this kind of the reverse way of we know the son before we know the parent, but I saw a lot of the same characteristics that Bruce has within Martha, you know, which is I'm sure them writing them into Martha after the, we've already learned them about Bruce. So yeah. kind of backwards to what you would see like in real life where if you meet someone's parents, you're like, oh, I can see where they got this trait from or that trait from. You know, you kind of can see how the parents influence the kid. So, I mean, we, we get that in this story, but it's, you know, constructed in the reverse order because of how much we know about Bruce and how little we know about Martha. Yeah. And, and it's just always good to see a character like Martha Wayne, get some love, get some attention. The only other time we've seen Martha Wayne as a character is in the flashpoint story where we get her as the Joker. Yeah. That, well, that's a completely different characterization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's one that uh, this particular title, Bat Books for Beginners, we'll get to much later. But Dylan and I have covered that for our other podcast, uh, Arc Reactions. Um, but yeah, I think future stories we see more of Martha. I, I know I've run, a, run across it a couple of other times, but not in things that we've covered on here, like you mentioned with Flashpoint. So it'll be interesting to see how that continues You know, with the characterization of Martha. I feel like we got a really good start here. Agreed. So the next one we have is Bruce deciding to be more active in running Wayne Enterprise. So we get a huge shift in Bruce Wayne's character, or a, a rather a growth in Bruce Wayne's character, and it's something that we both love to see. The We get a progressive status quo change that feels natural, and that feels like this is something Bruce Wayne would want to do because he knows as Bruce Wayne he has to have some effect over Gotham. Not just as Batman. He can't just Batman it up. And if if Wayne Corps got, you know, dismantled, shut down, that would, one, put a ton of people out of a job in Gotham. And two, you know, anything good that Bruce, that, that Wayne Corp has done, a la we saw in uh, No Man's Land, you know, Wayne Corp was building low-income housing. Wayne Corp was doing all this great stuff uh, before, during, and after No Man's Land. You have, you'd have all these, this good works undone. Yeah, and this this kind of stems a little bit from uh, Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne murderer and Bruce Wayne fugitive that we we've covered relatively recent to the, to this story. In that, in there, Bruce tries to or Batman tries to disavow all, all uh, ties with the with Bruce Wayne and tries to get you know get rid of that as a as a hindrance that's a hindrance to him as Batman. And then he learns by the end of the story that he he needs that. Uh, persona and he needs the family and everything and so this kind of there's a progression over this book where he he because of what happened with murder and fugitive he's asked to step down and then the person who's going to to take over um, she gets caught up with with uh, uh, fraud and so then he he gets the antagonist uh, Celia or Athena in, in this story to head up Wayne Enterprises and at some point he figures out that she's the bad guy. And so then he's trying to work his way back into running his company so that one, something like this can't ruin the company and put all those people out of work, as you mentioned, Dylan, but also that he's starting to develop into the, the Bruce that I really like to see one who as Bruce Wayne can help his city as well as, as Batman. 
and we see he he doesn't really feel that way just yet but he sees the necessity of of running his company based on what nearly happened with the the lady who got uh, indicted for fraud and then with C- Celia he mentions in issue 1 in this story that he feels Bruce being viewed as a shallow and ir- irresponsible person helps to hide his dual identity but i feel like having Bruce as a pillar of the community also works just as well to hide his identity because someone who's a businessman and president of a company, people aren't going to assume that they're also this guy running around at night beating up criminals. True. And now the other side of that is a more human Bruce Wayne makes sense for him to be the more playboy, uh, incorrigible, you know, character because if he's running around all night, he's got to sleep at some point and having him be the pillar community is taking the Batman and turning him into you know, basically a metahuman who superpowers powers he doesn't need sleep or rest. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that's always kind of been an accepted for me anyway, an accepted um suspension inco- of yeah, a suspension of disbelief or inconsistency in that these people run around all night fighting crime and then are able to have some sort of a semblance of a day life. You know, we see it with Nightwing, especially being a cop. You know, you know, he he's got to do his shifts as a police officer, but he's also got to be able to be Nightwing and there's only so many hours in the day. And then, of course, you always have those stories like Nightfall and we've seen it some in Nightwing where he's exhausted, he needs to rest, but something keeps pecking at him, whether it's his day life or or his superhero life and, and he's just keeps getting worn down and then eventually makes a mistake or something happens, you know. So, I mean, there, there are stories to play with there as well. Yeah, but I mean, it's just one of those things where one of the big draws of Batman is supposed to be that he's a human. But then he gets, you know, the fan armor treatment where he can go all night as Batman for, you know, weeks at a time and then be the daytime Bruce Wayne pillar of the community. That's just one of those, like, I know it's like a personal gripe, but for me that's a major gripe personally because we have a... You know, just a, a a taking away of what makes a character interesting, and what make, to me what makes a character interesting isn't necessarily their strengths, but their weaknesses. Yeah, I I can see what what you're getting at, and I think we're at another point of taste. your your taste versus my taste because yeah. <laughs> I I like what Bruce is able to do as head of his company. I like that aspect to the stories, and it's something that. Uh, at least in the era we're in, we aren't really seeing. I mean, I've seen some of it in later stories, and I like that. So um, I think it, we'll just have to agree to... If I if I might make a conjecture yeah. here, um, I would not mind seeing... Okay, so you have Oracle. Mm-hmm. I would not mind seeing Bruce Wayne Batman as a coordinator, a battlefield master directing his troops, a general, if you will. And of course, that, and we get this a little bit, and we'll talk about this a little more about his faith and trust in the family, but... You know, he has this big network of of uh, masked vigilantes that fall under him, under his authority. Why not have him as a more of a director type role? Yeah, I, I definitely agree, and we will be coming back to that when we talk about the family's involvement with this story. Because yeah, I, I like that as well. So let's uh, let's talk about the network here first, which is the villain in this story. Um, I have a couple of questions here based on just kind of. The, some of the conveniences to get us into this story. Um, we're told at the very beginning of the story that Celia married a man who was on the board of directors at Wayne Enterprises, and when he died, she took his place. So did Celia kill her husband? It is implied later on in the book that she did. Uh, I must have missed that. Uh, it's, it's in reference to the the gangster, the guy in the hospital bed. Uh Okay. So I, I think it's, it's... Well, no, no, sorry. That, that's a different husband. That's a different husband. Yeah, you're right. That's the one in Italy, the one who fathered her son who dies in the first uh, issue of that's this right. story. That's right. You're right. Uh, yeah, it's, it is left very ambiguous, isn't it? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, you could definitely see her doing it. So I, based on what we know of the character and how she operates, I think she did. Because it seems to me like... Well, it's it's also really weird that if a board member dies, his wife gets to take his place. That's not generally how corporations work. Yeah, that doesn't really make sense unless she was like a leading board member at the time. Yeah, which we're not led, we're not told that that she is. We're told that she just married uh, a board member for Wayne Enterprises. But that aside, uh, in order to make the story still 
palatable. Hold hold water. I do feel like she did kill her husband because that's how this character operates as a sort of a master manipulator. Yeah, basically her entire shtick is to the quest for more power and more gains. So yeah, it makes perfect sense that she would be the the kind who would kill her husband in order to gain more power. And then we mentioned the woman who was indicted by the SEC. That was Delilah. Um, I also kind of feel like Celia planted the evidence to get her indicted by the SEC. I, I think at the very least the network did. Uh, you know, we we were given a wide swath of abilities with the network. We have the bug who is, you know, their surveillance guy. You have Freeway who's kind of the fixer slash do-everything man. Yeah, he was, he's originally introduced as kind of the driveway, but he has many more skills beyond yeah. that. Mr. Fun is like, the, the he is the cleaner. He is the guy who cleans up. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be talking about him him next. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, no. yeah, I, I definitely feel like if it wasn't her, it was it was her network that, that definitely uh, planted the evidence. Because we're told that the uh, when Delilah is about to take over the company that, hey, what about this stuff that happened in her past? And Bruce goes, well, we investigated her and those charges didn't pan out. So I'm led, we're led to believe by that that she didn't really have a problem with the SEC. It was more a plant that that uh, Athena put in place just in case. Yeah, and the SEC is the Securities and Exchange Commission. Sorry, I, I yeah. realized I didn't define that yeah. a- acronym. Um, so let's talk about Mr. Fun. So I really enjoyed that he has those white glasses on a shadowed face. It's something I kind of associate with things like Sin City and Dark Knight Returns. You see, and, you see it a lot in anime, too. Yeah. Like a lot in anime. I can't think of it, but there's one character who, who is famous for that and the, the evil bridge fingers, which I'm doing to John. I'm showing John right now. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things that it kind of it, it has a certain connotation. And, yeah, you see it in Sin City. You see it in anime. You see it, what was your other example? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's something you see. It's a really cool, uh, interesting look. So it's very uh, stylistically striking. Yeah, I always found that that interesting. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of, of the movie Sin City. I haven't re- read the story yet, but I, uh, the first movie. But I did like the visual look of it. I did find that interesting. Um, what I, I found interesting to Mr. Fun and... I'm curious your thought on this. It, it almost sounded like he narrated his issue with proverbs. Oh, he did. It was a hundred percent like buzzwords and corporate speak. Well, no, it, it was. It was like, um, well, yeah. I mean, some of that stuff you I, see on the corporate posters. He, didn't, he didn't use the term synergy. He didn't use you know downsizing or anything like that. But it was totally like corporate, uh, sl- you know, kind of motivational, motivational, posters. yeah, motivational posters. And it, this is the type of stuff you'd see at a motivational speaker for a corporation retreat. Yeah, I can definitely see that. It also reminded me a little bit of fortune cookies. A little bit. A you little know, because they're kind of in that same vein of motivational uh, posters. But yeah, it was definitely like he, he spoke strictly almost in, or he narrated almost strictly in uh, motivational speak, which is kind of funny, kind of interesting. Yeah, it was a nice nice touch. It differentiated his uh, issue Di- from the rest. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the issues, each member of the network is focused on in an individual issue, and I thought this was a very good way to space out the history of each and keep the story moving along at the same time. You didn't feel like you had like one issue that was all back backstory. You didn't get the Rob Liefeld just drop a drop a bunch of people in a room, have them say their name in a cool uh, font, and there now you know the characters. Yeah, you didn't have that either. Rob Liefeld, ha, got it in. Uh, no, yeah, it was very much a. A very, and we'll, you know, when we get towards the end of the story, of course, we give our rating, but it felt like a very well rounded, very complete story because it, no member was really left feeling like they weren't explained. Even Tracker, who died in the first issue, got really well explained. Yeah, he might be the exception, although I think the first issue is from his perspective, so that might be his issue. And, and we get, you know, in kind of dialogue pieces, his, his, Relation to Athena and Athena being his mom, of course, we and we get we get a lot about him post mortem. Yes, we do. But I, I'm, I was referring more as just them narrating their oh, own yeah, issue yeah, and yeah, getting yeah. the backstory. We don't really get his backstory in that first issue. That is would have to be his issue because that's the only one he's alive in. Yeah. But we do get his backstory through other characters later. 
Which I thought was a cool way of doing it. Oh yeah, this is very interestingly laid out story. I I was I was pretty amazed that how well how the story works on its own, but also there's this interesting interesting element of having each each of the pers- people of the network have narrate kind of their own issue, and then also the way that we're introduced to them and and their history and such. I thought it worked very well together. Oh yeah. Um, so one thing that I d- that may be a little more of a discussion here is uh, each member takes a, a new role for each job they do, which I found this very interesting. If we see this the network again to see how they kind of well one they got to replace two members because two members died in, in this story, which is fine. I'd like to see them replace the two members and keep going and maybe traverse around the DC universe. Oh yeah. So go face off with another uh, hero, like say Green Arrow. I was just gonna or, say Green Arrow. Yeah. Um, Superboy, you know, Nightwing. maybe not, maybe not like Superman or no. or uh, some of the real heavy hitters, Wonder Woman. So, some of the the third tier and lower, uh, a lot of the non super powered guys. Yeah, like maybe the non meta heroes or the lightly lighter meta heroes. Although yeah. I've seen Flash do some pretty crazy things sometimes. Oh. So well, while I consider him, while I consider him like maybe not on the same power level as Superman, Wonder Woman, and and Green Lantern. Sometimes he's written that high up. So anyway, um, but that would be interesting to see. But there's also some issues I see in doing it in the way that they're laid out in this story. Um, Because Bug, who's the cameras and computers guy, and and Tran, who's the gadgets guy, seem to be very highly specialized and not really possess any of the rounded skills that some of the other characters hey, You're do. not expecting Bug or Tran to go do Freeway's job. Right, but kind of the way the network is set up, the next job, they might have to be put into that position. Well, see, I, I don't think that... like I, I don't remember them saying that each one takes a new role for each job. Yeah, they specif- they specified that somewhere in the, in the story. Then that doesn't make sense because what else is Mr. Fun going to do? Right. That, that, what else is Tran or, you know, Tran's not going to do anything, but what else is Bug? They, they have very specific skills. I think you that was a mistake is, is stating that they they take a different role for each job. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. It, it's an interesting concept and one that intrigued me about the network and made them kind of stand out as opposed to just being a set of new villains with no distinguishing features. But yeah, it seems like there might be a little bit of an, an an issue there of trying to actually fulfill what was stated in that they take a new role for each uh, um, job they do because they mention a couple other jobs like one in Texas with the with the the drug yeah. and then one uh, I forget where the other one was Russia or something like that. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of that, but I do love the idea of having a very specialized individual in each kind of role. Maybe have a few skills to left and right of their main thing, but yeah, you're not going to have Tran or Bug be the new Mister Fun. Yeah, I could see them maybe swapping their own roles. You know, Tran might be able, although he's dead, but yeah. you know, Tran could be able to do the Bug role, and Bug maybe could be able to do the Tran role. But other than that, I don't see either of them being able to do. Well, it depends on what exactly Freeway's role was in this. <laughs> if he was just the driver then potentially one of them could do that. But Freeway also had a lot of martial arts skills, which we're not shown that Tran or Bug have any. Exactly. Um, but Freeway could definitely step into almost uh, any of the physicality roles, like the Mr. the Fun. Tracker or uh, Suicide King. Like He could fit either of those roles for yeah. sure, and maybe Mr. Fun. So, yeah. Um, but all in all, I think that if you keep them in a similar role going forward, if you could keep them going forward that would make the best stories for them yeah and it would be interesting to see them used with another dc hero e- even if that first part that i found very interesting but doesn't really pan out was removed and you kept them kind of re- using the same roles it would be interesting to see them up against another dc hero oh definitely so going forward we get some really cool status quo changes and that's something that you know we've talked about in the past wanting things that have effect so we have Helena's identity is known to the DEO and the network. So Helena is no—I mean, she's the huntress, but she's very willing to sacrifice her identity, her, her secret identity, in favor of doing what she does. Well, I mean, she was already—I assume she was already known to pretty much all of the mafia, the 
families in town because we're see- we saw from her miniseries that people could pretty easily figure out Helena Bertinelli showed up in town and the Huntress showed up. Like it wasn't too difficult to put two and two together there for them, but they didn't seem to care about outing her identity. And then uh, the network kind of seemed like they wanted to to try and manipulate her to get her out of the way, but it didn't work. And then now that the DEO knows, that's another interesting element. I mean, the DEO, I know them primarily from the Supergirl TV show, um, not having really run into them too much in DC Comics and what I've read. But they're a government agency, so that might be okay, you know, as far as her identity not not causing a real problem just yet. But she seems, as you said, to not be as guarding of her personal identity as some of the other heroes are. And that may come about later to be a problem for her. Exactly. Uh, next one we have is Bruce Wayne as the interim CEO of Wayne Enterprise, which we discussed already. And that's just it's such a cool change because it has... You know, Bruce Wayne kind of re- recognizing the importance of Wayne Enterprise in Gotham and realizing that he can do good, at least I'd hope, realizing he can do good as Bruce Wayne as well as Batman. Yeah, and and I'm curious to see where that goes in, in some of the future stories that we'll be covering. Uh, the Bat family is very close at the end of this story, and Bruce acknowledges how important they are to him. And this is kind of, the, I guess, the key one as far as you see... Uh, Batman trusting the Bat family and his friends in this story, and it's it's a very pleasant surprise after some of the stuff we've we've covered, like Murderer and Fugitive, where he's very dead set against even informing the Bat family of what he's doing. He's just going to go off and be his own hero, one, one man army. Yeah. So this particular story, I think, shows an evolution of the character following that the, those two stories, Murderer and Fugitive. Because he at the in that last uh, issue, issue eight, we see that all the Bat family is assigned to do something, and Bruce is pretty much just protecting the city, which is great. I mean, it's he eventually stops uh, Cecilia from on the plane at the yeah. very end, so he kind of gets the fi- final jab in, but. We see Nightwing and Canary take out Mr. Fun. We see Huntress take out the Suicide King. And we see Canary tracking Celia. So, I mean, it's it's very much a Bat family story, and I really like that. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, and this is the Batman we love. This is, at least I think, uh, it's the Batman I love, where it's, you know, one, it's a network. He's utilizing a network. It's also the more detective slash intelligence style Batman. So he has this entire network of operatives that he's utilizing. And it's not just Batman go in and beat people up. It's Batman using detective skill. Batman using utilizing his network as a asset, not as a hindrance. You know, and as you mentioned, him trusting his family, trusting the family to accomplish tasks independent of him. Yeah, and earlier in the story we also see he gave Robin the assignment of, of tracking down that reporter. So I mean Robin had a couple different assignments in in this uh, uh, and very much seemed like he was helping Batman. It wasn't just, here, go do this so you're go, out of the way while go I... Go be a distraction. Yeah. Go, go. hey, look, there's a whole bunch of guys with guns. Why don't you go down there, distraction? I mean, Robin, in your bright colors. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely did enjoy that that element to, to this story, and I, I hope that continues, that the family is together for a while. And... Uh, I also saw a little bit of precursors to Batman Incorporated in here. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so I'm wondering, uh, Grant Morrison likes to pull from the history of Batman. So I'm wondering if, if this is one of those places where he got his inspiration to do Batman Incorporated. Well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate this to another story we've done, and that's uh, Death of the Family, where at the end you had the different Robins, including Red Hood, uh, Jason Todd come back and be a little bit closer. So I think this was a very similar story to uh, Death of the Family in so much that it was a joining of forces. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with they call the mem- the, the miniseries Family. So, I mean, the, but the placement of it as far as when it was published and everything makes me hope that, that those concepts will continue on into Detective and Batman you know, outside of just this miniseries. Yeah, definitely. You know, this is something that we definitely, as I mentioned, this is the Batman and Batman story that I love, and I think you're in the same boat as me, John. 
Yeah, I definitely enjoyed this this story as well. So do you want to do the rating and then we'll go on to... we got one more little discussion thing we'd like to do on this since we have a little bit of extra time. Um, so should we do the rating first? Uh, sure. Uh, you want to go first? Go or for I'll it. Take, you know what? It's a story, as we I've said over and over, that I really enjoyed. It's the Batman that I love. This is a detective Batman. This is a family being utilized as a force not you know being a distraction or a hindrance is and they're utilized really well. Each one has their specialty or at least some semblance of a specialty, kind of like the network, but a little more broad. And it was a really cool concept, really well done. Um, I, it's one that it had a few flaws, uh, but all in all, the story flew, flowed really well. You didn't feel like there was any real lag. The narrative was very smooth and clean, and. You had a, a utilization of Bruce Wayne and of Batman. So I'm going to have to give it a four and a half batterings out of five. Yeah, I was just thinking uh, kind of similarly as far as my rating there as well is, is could I give this a five? Like I've, I've said a number of times, and I can't remember if it's our reactions or this podcast, that I like a mixture of stories. I like those that really are heavy and challenge the character and then i also like ones that are a little bit lighter and give the character a break but also are enjoyable and i feel this kind of falls into that category uh, and it works very well in that category in that you have an, a compelling story but you also don't feel at any point within the story that there are really heavy stakes and that batman could fail like you feel like the family will get this done it's just a matter of how are they going to get it done and and sometimes that those are good stories, like this one. I felt like this was excellently done. I felt like it had some really interesting ideas. And we mentioned the one that kind of really didn't work with, you know, making the network change identities every crime they commit or every uh, job they go on. Didn't really seem to work when you really sat down and thought about it, but it was a cool idea. And then having the network narrate one uh, issue of this, you know, each each one of them get to narrate an issue, and you get to learn more about them. Or uh, if not in their issue, also in other issues. But just kind of to make it not feel like you get the same thing every single issue. You feel like issue issue each issue's got a new and interesting element to it. And so I, I I'm gonna have to give this one a five. Like I I very rarely do that. But John just gave something a five. <laughs> I, yeah, I very rarely do that. But I feel like. For the the fun factor and for how well this is pulled off, I feel like this is as close to a perfect story as I've seen in a long time. Guys, mark it on your calendar. John gave a book a five. (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) So that gives our average uh, four and a half since we round down out of five batterings. What are your thoughts about this story? You know, feel free to to post your comments. We'll tell you uh, how you can leave comments for us here in a minute. Um, but first, we, we've got a little extra time, so one of the things I, I, I thought would be interesting to talk about is our favorite type of Batman stories. I mean, as I've kind of already said, this one kind of fits in there with my favorite kind <laughs> of Batman stories. Same here. Because you've got the Bat family, you've got a little bit of detectiving, you know, you've, you've got uh, Bruce not being a jerk to everyone, <laughs> yeah. you know, he... Even, even Celia, before he knows that she's kind of manipulating him... You know, that was an interesting, you know, him getting to meet someone who knew his parents and getting to learn about his parents. You know, that was something cool and interesting. So Definitely. You know, and you have, there's a ton of different Batman stories out there. Uh, the ones we have are like Justice League, where he's part of the large team, which kind of ties back to Bat Family in a way. Only he's like the least powerful member of the Justice League. I was going to say it depends on the Justice League story because the ones that I like when he's in the Justice League are when he is the least powerful. Like he'll have a plan, but he needs someone else on the Justice League to carry out his plan. You know, this goes back to what I was mentioning. I love. I would love the idea of Batman as the general, Batman as the commander of the forces. Uh, in the Justice League, especially, you've got some super powerful beings. You know, generally speaking, the Justice League is super powerful beings and Batman. So having him as the you know, no one can match his wits, no one can match his tactician like abilities. It would be amazing to see him kind of filling that role, almost like an oracle like role, but a little more on the tactician, less on the intelligence gathering side. For the Justice League. Well, yeah, and also taking out maybe some of the lesser, like the add-on forces, you know, his, his minions or something. Like, say they're fighting Darkseid, and Darkseid has The some parademons. Parademons, right. So, so let him go up and fight against the parademons, but leave Darkseid to 
soups Superman, and Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, etc. So, yeah, I, I think we're on agreement there of how we like to see Batman used in the Justice League. I'm not a fan of Bat-God stories. I'm not either. Um, Part of the, one of the biggest draws and appeals to Batman is supposed to be that he is a man. He's a guy in a suit. Now, he's a guy in a suit with really cool devices and tech, but he's still just a guy in a suit. Yeah, and I, I like interesting gadgets. I like powerful gadgets, but the, that whole, and we'll have to see, um, I mean, at the time we're recording this, we haven't seen Batman versus Superman yet, but by the time it comes out, it will be out. So when we see that movie, we'll have to see how I feel about the whole suit that's able to stand up to Superman. But just off the top of my head, I'm not a fan of that. Me either. It's it's supposed to the the divide in power is supposed to be Superman's raw strength and ability versus Batman's tactical knowledge and intellect, and Batman problem solving his way out of it, not Batman getting in a in a Hulkbuster suit, basically, and punching him over and over. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. So, do you want to talk about villains? Like, what? Oh, okay, I know, know this is a place where we disagree. Yeah, I love villains. I really do. I'm a huge fan of villains. And I, I think the, the cool... I mean, you know, you got different types of villains. You have, like, the Penguin, who is more the villain of Bruce Wayne than he is of Batman. You, of course, have the Joker, which... You know, as iconic and recognizable as he is, there's some flaws there. In so much as, like, when we saw it with the death of the family, he's everywhere at once. Is he super-powered? Is he not? You know. Yeah, that's kind of a more recent thing with uh, Scott Snyder's Batman, because there's even a, a part in uh, Endgame where he's... Is he immortal? Is he not immortal? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, something I don't like. But I love... I, I've said it before. I, I think I probably said it on the podcast more than a few times. My the most interesting part of a story is the villain. It's not what the hero can do; it's what the villain makes them do. It's not that the because the hero, by and large, is going to be the good guy. You know where his his morals are. You know why he does what he does. The villain is the unknown. The villain is chaos. He is the interjection of calamity into the formula so the idea of a villain and like the uh the the organization the, the network network thank you i couldn't i lost the word is so cool because you had such a wide swath of abilities and we got a little bit of their backstories why they did what they did here and there now as we said i would love to see the network make more appearances operating as independent you know forces against maybe some other heroes or you know, in in tandem under the hire of more powerful villains. But, yeah, I love villains. Yeah, I, I'm not... I, I love heroes, so, I mean, we're kind of not quite on the, the same page just right there. But I also do like certain villains. I like the kookier villains. <laughs> yeah. A, as Dylan is aware, like ventriloquists, which I know Dylan doesn't care I for. I don't care for ventriloquists, John. You love ventriloquists. I just... Uh. The Riddler, <laughs> Penguin. No, hold on, no. I do love... The Riddler. Okay. I love the Riddler as someone who is a damaged human being who is brilliant, and but he's so aware of his own brilliance that makes him cocky and makes him uh, kind of self-defeating in his arrogance. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, I like the riddles, you know. I, I, like, I like the challenge of uh, trying to be able to figure it out the same, at the same time that Batman is. And if it's well-written, then you have the opportunity to, kind of like a Sherlock Holmes story. Like, all the pieces are there, usually. It's just you have to be able to pick out the right information and kind of see how, how well you can keep up with the story. And, you know, and that goes back to the whole loving Detective Batman, though, as well. The Sherlock Holmes Batman. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that goes hand-in-hand hand with De- Detective Batman, I, I agree. Um, but I like those more obscure... Well, maybe not obscure, because those are all kind of well-known villains. You love Calendar Man. You know it. Admit oh, it. <laughs> I haven't seen enough Calendar Man to have an opinion one way or the other. But now Clock King, on the other hand... Okay. <laughs> I like the the clocks for eyeglasses. It kind of goes with the whole white uh, eyeglasses thing. Yeah, before. yeah. Um, that, that was mostly in the, uh, the Batman animated, animated series. series. Yeah. yeah, the original animated series, which was phenomenal. All right, guys, so 
If you guys want to leave a, a comment on anything we're doing, please leave it in the comment sections at batmanuniverse.net on the episode page. Yeah, We'd- tell us what you thought about this story, Batman Family, or also share what you love about Batman or what your favorite villains are. Some, you know. Definitely. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So please just leave a comment on the show, your thoughts on the story, the show, or how we're doing. While you're at the batmanuniverse.net, you should probably read the in-depth comic reviews, listen to the other podcasts that offer, they offer, and get all your Batman news. It's a one-stop shop for all things Batman. If you like what John and I do, you can hear more of us at arcreactionspodcast.blogspot.com. Uh, That's our podcast, Arc Reactions. We do a wider swath of Marvel, DC, movie, independent, third-party, super-independent stories. Yeah, I, you're going to make super-independent stick, aren't you? Yes. Uh, you know what? If you like uh, what we do here, you should listen to our next episode, which will be Batman Dead Reckoning next month. All right. We'll leave you with the credits here. Uh, Batman Family, issue one through eight, was published December 2002 to February 2003. That was one thing we forgot to mention. This was a weekly story. Oh, yeah. So the it was written by John Francis Moore. Great job, John Francis Moore. The artists were Rick Hoberg and Stefano Guadino with Steve Lieber adding uh, for episode, er, for issue eight. The editors were Naki Castro, who was the assistant. Nachi, Naki. I say Nachi, but I don't Nachi. know. Which is like your cat. And then uh, Matt Eilson was the primary editor. All right. Thank you guys for listening and have a good month. We have a quick announcement here. We've had a good run on Bat Books for Beginners, and we've been at it for just under two years now, but we are ready to move on. We will continue with the podcast through December, but we are starting now to look for the next host of the podcast. If you'd like to host the show, please email tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. We have about two more years of stories lined up that you would be covering. We've had a great time hosting the show and look forward to whatever the next host brings to the podcast. Yeah, thank you guys so much, and uh, we've had a great time hosting Bad Books for Beginners. (laughs) 